This podcast series is sponsored by GSK. Dr. Doreen Siri and Dr. Matthew Mintz are healthcare providers who have been paid by GSK to produce this podcast. The information in this podcast series is intended to support disease state education and is considered non-promotional. Hello and welcome to the second of three podcasts on severe asthma. The title of this podcast is Eosinophils as a Biomarker in Severe Asthma. And the objective of this podcast is to educate on the role of eosinophils as a biomarker and to understand the prognostic value of eosinophils as a biomarker in severe asthma. Also to understand that eosinophil counts can vary over time and be impacted by factors such as oral corticosteroids. My name is Tom Corbridge. I am a pulmonologist at Northwestern University and a U.S. Medical Affairs Lead at GlaxoSmithKline. And I am delighted today to be joined by Drs. Doreen Siri and Matthew Mintz. Doreen is CEO and CMO at Midwest Allergy, Sinus, and Asthma, and also Medical Director of Sneeze, Wheeze, and Itch Associates, uh, which is a clinical research center. Uh, I'd also like to introduce Dr. Matthew Mintz, who is a clinical associate professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine. Matthew is an internist and also a physician in private practice in Rockville, Maryland. Thank you. Great to be here. So this, as the second of three podcasts, was preceded by podcast one about blood eosinophil testing in severe asthma. And just a few high points about the first podcast, wherein Matthew and Doreen reviewed that severe asthma makes up some 10% of patients with asthma, and that there are over 25 million people in the U.S. with asthma. And that roughly three quarters, if not more, of patients with severe asthma did have evidence of an eosinophilic inflammatory process or an eosinophilic phenotype. And that this phenotype was easily recognized by the blood eosinophil count of being 150 or greater, and that this indicated type 2 inflammation underlying asthma. And that it was important to phenotype patients with asthma with a bloody eosinophil count because eosinophilic asthma has negative impacts on patient outcomes such as quality of life and increased exacerbations uh, and in fact the need for oral corticosteroids and that understanding the patient's eosinophil level was also important in differential diagnosis. So as we extend our discussion now on eosinophils, I want to turn it back to Matthew. And Matthew, expand more on the role of the eosinophil in severe asthma for us. All right, great. So let's first start with saying, well, what is an eosinophil? I'll take a step back. So we have an immune system and we have lots of cells in that immune system. A very predominant group of cells are the white blood cells. So white blood cells, there's many types. There's leukocytes, lymphocytes, and neutrophils. And these are the cells in our immune system that help ward off infection and fight invaders and have a role in cancer. And one of those types of white blood cells is an eosinophil. And eosinophils in particular are involved in uh, the pathogenesis of the type two immune response, 
which we will see in diseases like asthma. So eosinophils predominantly, over 90% of them, are sitting in the tissues at the tissue level, sort of waiting for pathogens or antigens to come by. And when they contact them, they release granule proteins and chemical mediators. And these mediators are designed to, number one, potentially destroy that pathogen, but also you know, help stimulate the cascade of the immune response. Now, unfortunately, sometimes those proteins and chemical mediators will actually cause tissue damage. And in an asthmatic patient, they can worsen things like bronchospasm and hyperresponsiveness. Now, eosinophils play a role in both allergic asthma and non-allergic asthma. And when we look at tissue fluids like blood or look at biopsies of lungs, we can see that the numbers of eosinophils in those tissues and, and fluids directly correlate with the severity of asthma in those situations. So higher levels are associated with a greater risk of severe exacerbations and worsening asthma control. And so not only are eosinophils um, a biomarker, okay, that can help identify some of these patients uh, with severe asthma, but they are prognostic biomarker, meaning that not only can we identify patients, but the, the more eosinophils that you see, the worse it is for that patient. That's what we mean by, by, a, by a prognostic biomarker. It categorizes the risk of disease severity and progression in these patients. So in asthma, uh, if, when, uh, if you look at studies back from 1990, the association between eosinophil overexpression and asthma severity uh, was identified. And so numerous studies have since confirmed the fact that the more eosinophils you have in blood, in tissue, in sputum, the worse uh, asthma outcomes you see in patients with severe asthma. Thank you, Matthew. And now I'm going to turn it over to Doreen to tell us more about normal blood eosinophil levels and when we should start thinking about patients as having an eosinophilic phenotype. Thank you so much. Uh, I think it's really great some of the points also that Dr. Blintz brought up, that the fact that um, eosinophils can be there and it can be normal. Um, so we're talking about normal levels, uh, but certainly uh, even at normal levels, they can cause problems. As Dr. Mintz said, uh, the eosinophils can be uh, a prognostic biomarker, meaning that they may not necessarily be the pathogenic uh, cell that's involved, but they could be a bystander. However, um, we also know that when eosinophils arrive, they have a tendency to uh, create all of these problems and actually be pathological. So it is important for us to recognize that even at regular, normal, CBC with differential um, looking values that the eosinophil is an important marker to look at. And what I mean by that is that uh, we count patients as eosinophilic asthma and severe eosinophilic asthma, first driven by symptoms, but then looking at the blood count and noticing from clinical trials, from multiple studies, uh, published uh, data, that patients with an eosinophil count of 150 cells or greater can be characterized as eosinophilic asthma patients. And these are the exact patients that we're focusing on, those severe patients who have a tendency to have poor outcomes, uh, recurrent medical uh, um, exacerbations, and certainly um, be high utilizers of healthcare. So uh, again, to emphasize that even at a normal CBC with differential level, 
of 150 cells per microliter or greater, these patients can be characterized as eosinophil gasm patients. And again, the eosinophil being a uh, biomarker of type 2 inflammation, it's one of the effector cells. Whatever cytokines are behind it, whether that's interleukin-4, interleukin-13, TSLP, interleukin-5, these uh, effector cells um, that then are created, one of them being eosinophils, are very important uh, to recognize. So it is, in essence, um, uh, a marker of type 2 inflammation. So when we're looking at a CBC with differential um, in a healthy adult population, that range may range from 30 cells per microliter to around 300 cells per microliter in both males and females. Um, and if we're looking at a regular CBC with diff, we may not notice that um, the eosinophils are in that um, range that we worry about. So in order to calculate that, we simply will look at the white cell count. Uh, which will typically be reported uh, along with a percentage of eosinophils. And we multiply the percentage by the white cell count and we result in an eosinophil level. Um, that eosinophil level may also be reported independently, and we might see that as a decimal point. Um, and so in order to get to um, cells per microliter, we would multiply that number by 1,000. So for example, if you see a number reported as 0.2 on your CBC with differential, that would be multiply by 1,000, which would be 200 cells per microliter. So that patient, along with their symptoms, may actually be a severe eosinophil asthma patient. So now that we know what their eosinophil level is, then we have to think, you know, along with their symptoms, their severity, their course of treatment, is this patient uh, a patient that um, we could do better for? Um, and I maybe want to ask Dr. Mintz about this, you know, because he treats a lot of patients just like I do in terms of steroids. Um, when I see a patient and they've recently been treated by you with systemic steroids, you know, what might we see in that CBC with differential? Well, that's a good point because, you know, on the one hand, we we're talking about eosinophils as a prognostic biomarker, but when you give someone steroids for treatment, that dampens down, you know, their inflammatory cells, including eosinophils. So you might actually miss that patient if you're doing a CBC at that point. So it's really important to either go back in time, look at a previous CBC when they weren't on steroids, or if you don't have that, keeping in mind, okay, this is a patient who I now have given a, a burst of, of corticosteroids for an oral burst of corticosteroids when, when their symptoms are resolved, that's someone I should go and, and make sure to check their eosinophil levels well after you know, they've tapered off those steroids. Yeah, Dr. Mintz and I have gotten to know each other pretty well, and we talk about this a lot, is that, you know, if he's going to treat a patient, get them in control with a burst of corticosteroids, that then in his referral letter, I will have to recognize it. Sometimes it can take several months for those suppressed eosinophil counts to come back up so that I could recognize that this patient, along with their exacerbation and profile, um, may still be a severe asthma patient with eosinophils and eosinophil asthma patient because um, they're temporarily being suppressed um, in terms of their eosinophil counts with corticosteroids. So I think it's really, really helpful um, in terms of that communication between the primary care doctor and the specialist. And certainly even GINA guidelines in the Global Initiative for Asthma that we should repeat the eosinophil count before the initiation if possible. Um, and you know, you see, you do a lot of CBCs with diffs, correct, Dr. Mintz, um, in your patients all the time. So we should be able to have that kind of value in the past year. And then certainly um, one or two weeks after the cessation of systemic corticosteroids, and sometimes even beyond that, several weeks. 
So uh, again, to drive home the fact that uh, patients with eosinophil levels of 150 cells or greater um, and who are receiving um, or who are receiving chronic oral corticosteroids, um, even at that lower level, may still be an eosinophil-driven disease patient. Um, certainly, when we measure those eosinophil levels, it's important to consider that these also may vary. Um, there are circadian rhythms, there are diurnal patterns, um, certainly seasonal asthma patients may have different variations of their eosinophil levels. So it may take um, two or three CBC with diffs to pick up that specific patient. Doreen and Matthew, thank you for educating us on the role of eosinophils as a prognostic biomarker, but also the nuances of actually measuring the blood eosinophil test and how we can get fooled over time. If I were to ask you both for one or two takeaways for our listeners, uh, Matthew, let me start with you. Well, I, you know, I talked about uh, eosinophils as not only a biomarker, but a prognostic biomarker. And Jareen made the important point that, you know, even a normal, what would be flagged as normal in my CBC, that level uh, of, of 150, uh, you know, would not necessarily be flagged. So you have to be sort of, you know, one of the things that we doctors do, we're detectives, and you have to sort of put on that sort of detective hat and sort of recognize the patient at risk, go back and look in, you know, and see what that, that CBC shows and recognize that, um, you know, even if it's flagged as normal, you know, you, you know, you, you may have some eosinophilia. And I think she did a good job explaining on sort of how to recognize that and calculate that number so that you know what that 150 cutoff is. And Doreen? I think that uh, we have summarized really good points today, Dr. Mintz and I. Um, so thank you for uh, this opportunity, Dr. Corbridge, in terms of relating that um, eosinophilic acid patients, super important to recognize, um, pretty straightforward to recognize, uh, doing a brief calculation, and that to recognize that those patients as well, even if their eosinophil count doesn't obviously look like it's 150 or greater, um, we have to think about the other medications, exposure to some systemic corticosteroids, and really put that into the context of the right patient with the right symptoms, um, as sometimes a test is just a test and sometimes we got to repeat it. Well, I want to thank both of you, Drs. Mintz and Siri, for your expertise and your engaging discussion and helping us understand eosinophils as a biomarker. Thank you very much.